Well, good morning, church. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Kyle Rora. I get to be one of the pastors here at Temple, and it is my absolute pleasure to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Why don't we pray? Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, God, we need you. We need you to open our eyes so that we can see, open our ears that we can hear, and open our hearts that we can know what you are doing and what you are trying to teach us this morning. As we open your word uh, this morning, I pray that you would teach us, and I pray that you would guide the words that I'm about to say, and that you would open the ears of those listening. And it's through Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever had uh, a wakeful night? You know, one of those nights where, where you just don't seem to be getting any sleep and the sleep you are getting isn't very restful and, and you just keep seeing the clock waiting for dawn to come. You know, we have several new to newish babies in our community. So maybe this is you and you're saying, yeah, I have those every night with a baby, an infant who's waking to feed and I'm flat out exhausted. Or maybe you're just stressed out from work or lack of work or health or whatever it is and your mind is racing all night long. Or maybe, you know, you, you fall asleep and you dream and you have these bad dreams and they wake you and you fall back asleep to just more bad dreams and you keep waking up in this cycle. Whatever the reason, I think that all of us can likely um, relate or remember a night like this. And in those nights, we tend to wait for, long for, hope for dawn, for dawn to come, for morning. Because like the psalmist cries out, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And there is hopefulness that comes with dawn, isn't there? But have you ever asked yourself, can there be hope in the midst of the night? Can there be something that gives me hope even in the midst before dawn comes? And maybe you're listening to this, you're hearing this, and you're saying, Brother, I wish it was only a night. I would long for only one night because my night is lasting weeks, if not months. Is that something that you have felt? And if you find yourself in this place, looking around, not understanding, not seeing what God is doing, then I want to encourage you, take heart, because in our passage today, we're going to see that the Lord actually meets his people in the midst of the night, and it's in that place that he actually sends word through his prophet Jeremiah to his people that hope is coming. And it's in the midst of the night that God brings Hope. And so if you're here and you're in that night, if you're in that darkness, the dark night of the soul as some have called it, then take heart because the Lord is with you. 
If you'll recall, last week, Pastor John kicked off a new series for us in the book of Zechariah. And um, it, uh, the, the title of our series that we've just started is, uh, is Return to God, Eight Hopeful Visions for Dark Times. Last week, Pastor John covered the introductory appeal of Zechariah to the people of God. He proclaimed the need for God's people to return to God, and God would return to them. And the book of Zechariah, as he pointed out last week, is highly figurative and can, at times, be quite difficult to understand and to follow. In fact, as I think he mentioned last week, even Zechariah needed an interpreter for the visions that he had. He had the angel interpreting for him. And so so for us reading later, it can be very tricky to, to kind of muddle our way through. But I think that a key to understanding books like Zechariah is to make sure that we don't lose the forest through the trees. And this is a phrase that came to my mind several times as I was preparing this week or uh, a little bit more than that maybe. And I, and I honestly think that it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit because I kept getting caught up in these ideas like what does this person represent and who are these people and what does that color mean and, and how do all of these fit together? And I mean, honestly, some of these questions are very important to answer, but we need to be careful that we don't lose the forest through the trees. The key I'm understanding more and more is to remember what the point of it all is. Why is he even writing? What is going on here? See, remember, Zechariah is a prophet of God. He's a prophet of God. And this means that his purpose is to call God's people back to right relationship with God. Return them back to covenantal faithfulness. In other words, the role, his role as prophet is to act as a signpost and to remind God's people of the promises and commitments that they have made to God. Or, maybe more importantly, to remind God's people of the promises and the commitments that God has made to them. So that they don't lose sight of what is going on. And so with this in mind, we can look to these wild visions and surreal stories that Zechariah shows us, and we can start to understand that God, what God is saying through them. It's important as we work our way through not to get tied up in the images, but to rather to allow God to speak through them, showing us hope in the midst of dark times. And today we're actually going to dive headlong into these visions. But as we do, it might be helpful to give a bit of a, a reminder as to where we are in this whole redemption story. Because the reality is anytime you read scripture, you need to realize, remember, think about where in the story of redemption we find ourselves. Um, and, and what I mean by this is that all 66 books of the Bible may have been written um, over 2,000 years by multiple different authors, but the reality is, is this book tells one story from Genesis through to Revelation, and, and it's really quite incredible. And so whenever we're reading in Scripture, we need to be thinking about where in that story 
this passage is coming from. And so for our case here in particular, we know that God's people are just in the process of returning from exile. They've, they've faced this punishment from God for constantly breaking faith with their relationship to him. But God was gracious to them and he's bringing them back out of exile. And they're in the process of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem. And it's in the midst of this limbo period, this being on the edge, standing at the precipice, if you will, that... God sends word through Zechariah to his people. And if you've been tracking with us as a church for a while, then, then maybe you've been with us through as we've studied Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and, and Zechariah speaking right in that same sort of time frame, um, right along with Haggai and as prophets of God. And God's people find themselves questioning. They find themselves wondering, where is God in all of this? Is he really in control? But what we're going to see this morning really is great hope for those of us who feel in the dark. Maybe you feel that way in the darkness. What we're going to see this morning is that God does not wait for them to get out of their funk. He doesn't wait for them to come out of the fog, to come out of the darkness before he talks and gives them hope. But rather he meets them right there in the darkness, in the night. And reminds them to return to the God of hope and of justice. The God of hope and of justice. And if you've not already, I invite you to turn to Zechariah chapter 1. Turn in or turn on your Bibles to the book of Zechariah chapter 1. And then... um, in case you need to, might need to flip some pages here, hold your finger in chapter 1, flip over to chapter 6, um, because we're going to be reading from both. We're going to see Zechariah 1, 7 through 17, which is the first vision, and then Zechariah 6, verses 1 to 8, which is actually the last of the eight visions. And because what we have here between Zechariah 1, verse 7, and Zechariah 6, verse 8, are eight visions that God sends to Zechariah in one Night. And what we're going to see is, is that, that while there are eight individual visions that tell a specific, uh, that have a specific purpose, there is this holistic nature to them in a way that they all work together and are paired up with other visions. And so today we're going to specifically look at, at the first vision and the last vision. So the bookends of our of our section here. And so follow along with me as I read first, uh, starting from verse one, from chapter one, verses seven through 17, and then chapter six, verses one through eight. Hear the word of the Lord. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night And behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And so the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have betrothed the earth, and behold, all of the earth remains at rest. 
When the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Now we're going to jump over to chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Again, I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. And the chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country, and the white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. And when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. And they, so they patrolled the earth, and he, came, he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. See, when I have the opportunity to read fiction books, fiction novels, one of the genres of novel that I like to read is, is historical fiction, or more specifically, uh, historical fiction that centers around uh, major battles or, or war. And, and I, I like to follow the line of a, of a soldier as he, he goes through his life and to see how uh, it's portrayed. And, but, but when it comes to the major battle scene that usually comes in the story, I like it when the author kind of zooms out and gives the overview of what's happening that, so that in my mind's eye, I can see the troop movements and, and the way that, that things are, are playing out in the battle. And, and, and in, in a lot of ways, this, uh, this path, these two visions here give us that overview. They're giving us, the, they're showing us what God is trying to teach his people through these visions and ultimately God is calling his people to return to a God of hope and a God of justice, a God of hope and a God of justice. Let's look first to that opening vision, that first vision. And here uh, what we see is that God is offering his people hope even when it seems like there isn't any. He's offering his people hope even when it seems like there isn't any. 
So notice the first, the setting, the setting of our vision here. See, the people of God are humbled and in darkness. God's people are humbled and in darkness. Let's, uh, let's look again at verse 8. So chapter 1, verse 8. I saw in the night. See, first we see that God is speaking in the night, physically, this vision is coming to Zechariah in the nighttime, and this is important, and there's a reason why he's speaking in the night. He knows that his people are sitting in spiritual darkness. They're sitting in a spiritual night, and so he's speaking to them in the midst of that. They don't know where God is. They don't know what God is doing, and so we can't miss the fact that, that Zechariah points out, God spoke to me in the night. And he continues, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. So we see that the, the, the setting for the vision here is among the myrtle trees. And these trees are here to represent the people of God. They're, they're a humble tree. They are no great cedar, no mighty oak. But still, Isaiah uses the example of a myrtle tree to, to show the coming of God into a barren wasteland. They're a sign of hope, but, and, but they're also a humble tree. And so they're used here to represent the people of God. And we can't miss the fact that they're in a glen or a valley. In other words, they're in a low place in the night. And God's people are humbled and in darkness. And I wonder if you, listening to this right now, can relate to that. This feeling of being low, in a low place, sitting in darkness, not being able to see what's, or understand what's going on. But they are not alone. God's people are not alone. See who is with them. Let's, let's look again at verse 8 and we'll continue on. I saw in the night and behold, who a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. And behind him were red sorrel and white horses. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And so the man who is standing among the myrtle trees answered, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they, they answered the angel of the Lord who is standing among the myrtle trees and said, we have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Now, obviously there's a lot to unpack here and we're probably not going to get to it all. So let's go first for that most important part, the man. The man standing among the myrtle trees. Notice that he goes by another name as well, right? In verse 11, it's, so in verse 8 he says the man who is standing among the myrtle trees riding a red horse. And then later he's referred to in verse 11, the angel of the Lord who is standing among the myrtle trees. And so this man is called and referred to as the angel of the Lord. And this is not the first time that we have met this character in scripture. In fact, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, we see 
the angel of the Lord appear to God's people on more than one occasion. But let me give you just one example in Exodus 3, chapter 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. Exodus 3, chapter 2. Maybe you recognize the story of Moses meeting with God in the burning bush. See, here we have that burning bush um, calling out and saying it's the angel of the Lord. And that angel of the Lord will go on to introduce itself as none other than Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here in Zechariah's vision, we see him posted among his people in their lowly place and in the darkness. And since we can see this presence of God in the form of a man, we can know that this is none other than the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, uh, the very one who will ride his red steed all the way to the cross. And here in the vision, we see that Jesus stands with his people in the midst of their darkness, in their humble standing. And notice, too, that he, he's not even there just on his own, but rather with angels, agents of God, who are sent to patrol the earth so that God is showing his people, listen, even when you're in the darkness, even when you can't see what's happening and you can't know what's going on, I am still at work throughout the whole earth with my people and throughout the rest of the world. And it's from this humble, this dark place that God speaks words of hope. Words of hope. Look again at verses 13 and 14. And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And so the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Jerusalem and Zion, if you don't know, are these representations of where God has met with his people and where God dwells. And so God is saying he's jealous for his dwelling place on earth. And he says that he talked about gracious and comforting words. But the key verse of hope here is, is verses 16 through 17, which says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with what? With mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. God says, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. I've returned to my people with mercy. See, God's people, they didn't deserve God's mercy. No, they deserved his message of justice, which we're going to read about in just a little while. But instead, God returns with a message of hope for his people. And that's nothing short of the mercy of God. And brothers and sisters, when we see this message of hope for God's people in light of the cross... We see that God is only just getting started here. 
See here, the Son of God is mounted on a red steed among his people, and he offered them hope in their day. He offered them hope as they were rebuilding the temple, as they were rebuilding the city. God's saying, I am going to be with you as you rebuild this. But like many prophecies through the Old Testament, they foreshadow to the cross as well. Because Jesus will indeed come to meet with his people in the midst of their darkness, right where they are. If you recall to the book of Philippians, which we just finished our series in, in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, right smack dab in the middle of that Jesus poem, in the middle of, of Philippians, we read this about Jesus. It says, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself becoming by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus meets his people right where they're at and, and he offers them words of hope in the midst of the night, in the midst of the darkness. And if you're here, if you're hearing this right now and you're in the night, if you're in the darkness, hear God's word of hope for you, he's meeting you right where you're at. But there's another side. There's another side to the hope that God offers his people. Because if you've been sitting in that place of darkness, if you're sitting there right now, then perhaps you're asking the same question that the people of Israel were asking like, why am I in darkness when they are prospering? Why am I in darkness when they are prospering? Look at verse 15. And I am exceedingly angry. Remember, this is God talking. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. Those nations that are prospering, that are not my people, I am, I am exceedingly angry. For while I was angry but a little, he's speaking of when he sent his people into exile, they furthered the disaster. And here they are sitting at ease. Here they are sitting in prosperity. You see, God's people, they're, they're questioning. When they looked around the world, they saw the agents of what the agents of God saw, that, that the, they patrolled the earth and behold, the earth remains at rest. And they saw that the nations who had wreaked havoc on, the, on God's people were going unpunished. And they saw that the enemies of God, God's people, were, were living in prosperity when they were wallowing in poverty and, and fought and struggled to build their city back up from the ruins. And I wonder if you've ever had these questions of, of why are they prospering while I'm struggling? What does God have to say about this? He's already addressed his people and the hope for his people in verses 16 through 17, saying, I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to build you back up. And you can hear that hope too as a believer that if you're sitting in the darkness, you can know that God will ultimately build you back up. 
But, but that doesn't answer the second half of that question of, of, well, what about those who are opposed to God? Why are they not getting justice? What about God's enemies? Friends, God may take the time to get his people in order. But he does answer that question. And for that, we turn to the last vision. Please flip over again to chapter 6. And here God is promising to enact his justice on those who oppose him. Because he is the God of justice. So first we saw that he's the God of hope, but now we see that the, the continuation of that hope is that he's the God of justice. Let's read again chapter 6 verses 1 to 8. Again I lifted my eyes and, and saw, and behold, four chariots. <coughs> four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze, and the first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. And then I answered, then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out of the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go to the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. And so they patrolled the earth. And he cried out to me, Behold, these who, are go who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest on the north country. The first thing we see is that justice comes from God. Justice comes from God. Look again at verse 1. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. See, these bronze mountains, they showcase the dwelling place of God. If you remember the building of Solomon's temple, it's documented in the book of, I believe it's 1 Kings, we see that, that there's two bronze pillars that stand in the doorway into the holy place of the temple. And so these come to mind when we hear about two bronze mountains that are coming out of, of those two bronze mountains are these chariots. See, this justice, these agents of justice are coming out from the very dwelling place of God. And further to that, we see down in, in verse 5 that they were present, that these chariots were presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. And so we see that, that justice is ultimately coming from God because God is the God of justice. And there's hope in this because we too look around our world and we see injustice. And this vision shows us that God is in fact still at work, is in fact still in control, even when we don't necessarily see it, even when we are feeling like we're in that darkness, God has brought, is bringing, and will bring justice on those who oppose his word. And when it's time for that justice to come, 
what we see through this vision is that God's justice is swift and complete. His justice is swift and complete. Look again at verses 6 through 8. The chariots with the black horses go toward the north country, and the white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. And when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. And so they did patrol the earth. And he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have sent my spirit at rest in the north country. See, when God brings justice to bear, there is no question. Brothers and sisters, take heart and know that God is seeing what's happening in this world. He sees those who suppress the truth. He sees those who oppress God's people. He sees those who oppress the poor, the downtrodden, the helpless. He, go, he sees those who fight against his people and they will not go without swift, complete, and God-exalting justice. But let me remind you, just as I am being reminded every day, especially as I was studying into this passage, that if it were not for the mercy of God, I too would be needing these chariots, if not for the man who is mounted on the red steed among the myrtle trees, I too would receive the chariots. If I didn't receive the mercy of God, I would receive the justice of God. But instead, Jesus rode that red steed all the way to the cross. And instead of carrying out his vengeance on his people, he instead took our place on the cross and he took that death on our behalf for acts that he didn't commit. And in that one act, in that one act of mercy, he took the vengeance from God upon himself. He sees those who fight against his people and he brings justice. But he took that justice himself. See, God returns to us. God returns to us. Let us return to the God of hope and the God of justice. I'm going to leave you with, with one final parting thought. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I'm humbled. I am humbled. I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of your mercy. And yet you meet me in the darkness. You meet us in the darkness. God, we need you. If not for your mercy, we will receive your justice. And we can, no one can bear, no one can bear your justice. Father, we love you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And to him be all honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
Amen. Amen.